Let me start off by trying to calm you down a little bit. I am not going to read all these verses, guys. Uh, apparently, some grumbling is already taking place, and rightfully so. Uh, the reason there's so many passages there is I am going to quickly cite passages as I go on. And the reason is, is although my goal, I would have liked to have read the entire book of Job this morning. I know we can't, not safely, at least for me. So what we're going to do is, is I am going to have to summarize quite a bit of stuff. So I'm simply going to cite some stuff as I'm moving on through the book of Job here. And you may wonder, why is it, are we going to talk about Job? Well, if you guys have noticed, Job has been mentioned, I think, two or three times in the last few weeks. Uh, and I began to think about it. I have not spoken on Job since 2019. And actually, that is the only time I have ever spoken on Job. Uh, if you guys have never gone back and studied Job, uh, I would encourage everyone to go back and to read. It is probably my favorite Old Testament book. Uh, and as I go through this, I'm really hoping I can control myself a little bit, but we can learn a lot as we begin to look at Job. So as we begin to quickly move through the book of Job, here's where we're going to start out. What exactly do we know about Job from the get-go? When, when did he live? What was the background? What do we know about the book of Job? Well, the book of Job does give us a whole lot of information as we begin to read through it. It gives us information about the time period in which it was written. And I have to touch on this, although I'm not going to spend very long on it. There are a lot of so-called scholars who have written books on the fact that they, what they believe is a fact, that, that Job is an allegory. And that is, it's an allegory about the nation of Israel. And if you don't know what an allegory is, an allegory is a made-up story which reveals a hidden meaning. To all of the scholars, maybe some of them are watching this, the technical refutation to that is, is hogwash. Uh, it is not an allegory about the nation of Israel. And I know that because scriptures tell me that Job was an actual historical person. I know that because Ezekiel actually says that Job was an actual, factual person. Listen to Ezekiel 14, 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Let me pause real quick. Ezekiel talks about Noah and Daniel and Job. Nobody that I know of believes that Noah was a, a made-up person given an, as, a, as an allegory. Nobody believes that Daniel was an allegory. They all believe they were actual, factual people, right? And so was Job. That's what Ezekiel shows me. Again, it's mentioned over in Ezekiel 14, 20, same thing. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So here's where I'm starting off. A lot of people say Job's just a made-up story, it's an allegory about the nation of Israel, and it teaches us some good things. And what I would say to you is, is again, the technical term is hogwash. He's a real person. He literally dealt with the things that we're going to read about, and they were delivered to us by inspiration. Job was as real as we are, and we're blessed to be able to read about the things that happened to him. J James also confirms what Ezekiel said. He's a New Testament writer. Most of you know about James. James actually says that Job existed. Listen to James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. James says Job was a real person. As a matter of fact, he talks about the patience of Job. And again, if you haven't read Job, and I'll try to control myself a little bit as we look at the book of Job, 
It is probably one of the saddest books you will ever read. It is sad because of what he struggles through and what he goes through. And I'll touch on that in a little bit, but Job is probably the oldest book that we have within our Scriptures. We know that it was written prior to Moses penning the first five books of the Bible. And if you go back and study the language scholars, they actually know that it was written in early Aramaic or an early form of Hebrew. It was written actually when writing was still done on stone. You can find that over in Job 19, verses 23 through 24. It does talk about the flood, so we know it was written after the flood. And it does talk about dinosaurs, Job 22, 15 through 18, Job 40, and chapter 41. Most of these verses are in here. Guys, I will not add verses on the fly unless I look in my notes and see that I, I clearly forgot something. Okay, So your verses should be listed. But that's where he talks about dinosaurs and the flood. So what do I know? Well, Job was a patriarch. He lived just after the flood, and, uh, and he tells us about a number of things that we oftentimes wonder about. They could be found in the book of Job. History scholars also know that Job, his name was very common, and they find it in secular writings about the time of Abraham. They know that Job actually served as a priest, and he offered worship on behalf of, or sacrifices, on behalf of both his children and his friends. That's over in Job 1.5 and Job chapter 42. Guys, one of the things we know is, is this only happened during the patriarchal age. You couldn't go out and offer sacrifices on behalf of your friends and family as an individual under the law of Moses. And so we know very clearly that clearly he was, he was a patriarch. We know that Job shaved his head over in Job 1.20. Uh, Jews were not allowed to do that during a time of mourning, uh, Deuteronomy 14.1 and 2. So very quickly with all that information, what do we know about Job? Well, Job was a patriarch, and Job lived just shortly after the flood. And that's the basics of what we know about Job. About Job. Now, we learn a lot about how to deal with suffering, and we also learn a lot about incorrect viewpoints regarding suffering. And that's much of what we'll learn as we begin to go through the book of Job here, and we summarize it very quickly. For anybody who's not spent a lot of time studying Job, Job shows us that there is suffering for the righteous. Now, as we start off, go ahead and turn to Job chapter 1, because we are going to read some portions of Job, just to at least give you guys some basics of what's going on, and then I'll summarize much of the rest of it. Job is a man who God had blessed abundantly. He had virtually every imaginable blessing, imaginable blessing that one could have, and it was because that he was pure and he was upright. And you oftentimes will find that in the Old Testament. Those patriarchs who were pure and they were upright, they were blessed abundantly. They did not have the knowledge that we have today because we have, we have the revealed scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. They didn't have this at their hand. So they weren't necessarily blessed to the extent we are with knowledge, but they were oftentimes blessed abundantly. Listen to Job 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's start to learn about Job. There was a man in the land of Uz. Let me pause. If anybody ever does study Job, there is a couple of references to a different Job in your Old Testament. And some have tried to accuse that these are the same two. I didn't put any of this in your notes, and I'm shooting from the hip. But the other Job that you read about is right after their trip going into, into the, uh, after leaving Canaan to go into uh, Egypt. Okay? That's a Job going to Egypt. This is a Job that lives in the land of us. They are different Jobs. Okay? I have to point that out because there are some who have tried to say it's the same man. It's not. There was a man in the land of Uz whose, no, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. 
And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she donkeys and a very great household, so that his man was of the greatest of all men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. Let me pause for a second if you're wondering what that is. How many of you guys celebrate on your day? Birthdays. They're gathering and celebrating on their or his day. And he sent and he called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. And he rose up early in the morning and, burned, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that, thy, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus did Job continually. So Job clearly is a patriarch and he's offering sacrifices on behalf of his children. Now, what do we learn really quickly as we begin to look at Job? And this is how it starts off. He is blessed greatly. I, I'll try to use, because some people might complain, I'll use the word donkey uh, as we begin to describe certain things. But <clears throat> Job had children. He had herds. He had flocks. He had great abundance in land. He had great wealth, including servants. Guys, and this for a long time was how, was how Job lived. And was that acceptable? Yes, he was a pure and an upright man who God had blessed over and over and over again. To the point that Job had actually come to live and depend on these gracious blessings of God. It was his way of life. He was an upright, honest, and pure man who God continued to bless, and that, be, that was his lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, Satan is going to come into the picture. Satan wants to put him to the test. And literally, guys, the entire reason Satan wants to put him to the test is because he's faithful. No other reason. It's because he's faithful. Let's go and read verses 6 through 12 now in Job chapter 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Uh, we're talking about the angels here, and Satan obviously is an angel. And he is under the authority of God because they're presenting themselves in the presence of God. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face." And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. What do we know about Job? Well, Job is impeccable in the eyes of God. He says he's a perfect and he's an upright man. And Satan says, You know what? The only reason that Job is even faithful to you at all is because you have, you have continuously and abundantly blessed him. He says, But you know what? If you take away all his wealth, and if you'll, if you'll strike him down with a disease, he will literally just curse you to your face. That is what Satan tells God. God says, no, he's, he's a perfect and upright man. And so there's a spiritual battle that is beginning to take place. And you have to remember 
This is taking place, and you've got Job. Job has no idea. Job's, gonna, Job's going to be the victim of, of Satan's handiwork, unfortunately. But there's a spiritual battle taking place, and God, He permits Satan to afflict Job. He gives him one condition. You can't kill him. You can't kill him. And so, Job is indeed going to suffer in spite of his righteousness. And then, guys, it gets even worse. As Job is suffering and struggling, his friends, I use this word very lightly, his friends come, and the reason that they show up is, is to supposedly comfort him. And they tell him that the reason that he is suffering, the reason that he is being punished is because clearly he is a wicked, horrible person. That's the conclusion that they've come to. And guys, it is extremely sad because the truth of the matter is here that he's an exceptionally faithful follower of God. And what is unknown to Job is, is he's literally the center of a spiritual battle that is taking place. Satan says, you say that he's perfect and upright, but I think if, I take all of his, if you take all of his stuff away, that's the only reason he worships you. You take all of his stuff away and you curse him with an illness, he'll curse you to, his, to your face. And God said, no. Now, you can put him to the test, but you can't kill him. Let me point something out here, because as we look at the book of Job and what we know now, and it's sad Job didn't, the book of Job doesn't just deal with a God who loves righteousness, but it also deals with a devil who hates it. And while the goodness of Job is a point of pride for God, it is literally a thorn in the side of Satan. Satan ultimately wants everyone to be uh, as evil as he is, at least through their actions. And so the suffering that results in Job's life here, it doesn't come from the hand of God. God. God allows it, but God doesn't do it. And it's part of this spiritual battle as it plays out. God allows it, but it comes from the hand of Satan. And here's the sad part. While this information is relayed to us through the inspiration of the Scriptures, as you read through the book of Job, Job at the time had no idea. Job did not realize that there was a spiritual battle going on. He didn't understand what was taking place, and he literally thought that God was responsible, uh, Job 13, 15. Let's go ahead and talk about the first round of suffering. So God has allowed during this spiritual battle for him to afflict Job with the one condition, you can't kill him, but go ahead and you can afflict him because he is an upright and perfect follower of God. Job 1, verses 13 through 22, I'm not going to read it, but I'll try to break it down real quick begins to talk about all the tragedies from the hand of Satan that begin to take place on Job. It takes all of his wealth. He loses every one of his children in one terrible day. All of that in one day. You have raiding parties that come in and they steal his livestock. They kill his servants. It says that there's fire from the sky. Most likely it's talking about lightning. Came down. You, we, that happens now where fields catch on fire. It burns up all of his flocks. Then it says there was a mighty wind that came through, most likely a tornado. You guys ever seen a house get knocked over with a tornado? Mighty wind comes through, destroys the house where his sons and daughters are eating together, killing them all. There was a servant that came and began to tell Job what was taking place. But imagine all at once finding out that you've lost all your herds, you've lost your flocks, your servants were slaughtered out in the field, your children who were all eating together in, in the house, the house collapsed on them and it killed them all. How do you deal with that? 
I would be devastated. I would be devastated to lose everything that you have in one day. He's lost everything. And listen to his response in Job 1, 20 down to 22. Then Job arose and he rent his mantle and he shaved his head and he fell down upon the ground and he worshipped and he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. And here's where he's wrong, guys. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Let me pause for a minute. Is, is God the one doing this to him? This isn't God doing this, but he thinks that it is. And, and for the most part, what he's saying is true. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. When we talk about life, when people die of natural causes, is that God killing them? It's natural law playing out. But he thinks God's behind this in some way. But then he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't blame God. He thinks that God's behind this in some regard, but he's not blaming him, and he's not saying he doesn't have the right to do this, but he's mistaken here. God didn't do this. Satan is behind this. There is a spiritual battle playing out here, and Job's at the center of it, and he doesn't even know. And he literally at this point thinks that this has something to do with God, and we'll touch on this. Job, Job doesn't fully understand what's taking place, but he's not done. If that wasn't bad enough, losing all of your children and losing losing uh, all of your, your herds and your servants. And Job 2, verses 7 through 10, tells about even more suffering that takes place. And it continues to go on through the rest of the book. But he's got festering sores all over his entire body. Job 2, verses 7, also there in chapter 7, 5. And if you, if you go back and look, he's literally laying in a dump, taking, taking uh, pieces of pottery clay, and he's scraping these boils, these festering sores off of his body. Guys, you can't get any more. I don't know how it could get any worse than that. I'm literally laying in a dump, taking pieces of, of the pottery, and I'm scraping these boils off my body. That's how he's described. Festering sores with scabs all over his body, over in Job 30. He's so disfigured, his friends don't even want to look at him. You ever seen, you ever watch one of them scary movies where the guy comes out and his face is all messed up, maybe The Walking Dead or something like that, and you're like, oh, you don't even want to look at it? This is Job. His friends don't even want to look at him. Uh, I don't know how bad he looked, but it had to be bad. But I can say this. I remember when my grandfather was dying from cancer, and my dad said, get in the car, we're going to see him. And I was like, I don't want to look at him. I don't want to go. And he's like, you're not going for you. You're going for him. But I remember I didn't want to look at him. He was so bad. I think he weighed about 65 pounds, 70 pounds at that time. This is what's going on with Job. He's so disfigured and disgusting, his friends don't want to look at him. He's got a fever. He can't eat, Job 30, Job 17, Job 19, and he's in constant pain, Job 30, verse 17. He's so miserable. He's lost everything that he has, his children, his flocks, his servants. He's got boils and festering sores all over his body. And he's sitting out in a dump, and he's literally cursing the day that he was born, wishing he could die. That's how low it's gotten for Job. Listen to Job 3, verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? Why didn't I die during childbirth? Why wasn't I stillborn? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breasts that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept, then had I been at rest. Now remember this, Satan can't kill him. But Satan can destroy him and take everything that he has and make his life so miserable that he wants to kill himself. That's where Job is. 
a faithful follower of God who's done nothing ever but been faithful to God, and he's lost it all, and he is struggling and suffering with boils and sores and constant pain. To the point now, he's saying, I wish I was never even born. And yet, in spite of all of this, as we go back and look, the Scriptures teach that he never did sin. He was confused. He didn't know what was going on. He even questioned why all of this was taking place, but he never sinned. Listen to Job 2, verses 9 and 10. And guys, I tell you what, I hope none of you have a spouse like this. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. What's she saying? Sounds to me like she's telling him to go kill himself. Now, let me, in her defense, at least say this. Job's lost everything he has, but so is she. He's lost all of his children, so is she. He's lost all of his wealth, so is she. This to me sounds like words of a, of a really distraught spouse. But that's what she tells him. Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Notice this. He says, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and we shall not receive evil? Let me pause for a minute. Who does he still think's doing this? He thinks God's doing this. And he says, Hey, you know, if he's going to give us good, he's going to give us bad. Logical thought process, but he still doesn't know about the spiritual battle taking place. He literally thinks God's still behind this. And then it says, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now, in the next 35 chapters, You've got Job's friends, and they come, and they're helping him to try to struggle to make sense out of what's taking place here. And it isn't that Job wants to blame God. It's not that Job is tempted to ever turn his back on God. He simply doesn't understand. And these are some of the questions that we really are are working through here in the book of Job. Why would God cause or allow so much suffering on one of his devoted followers? What reason is there that a righteous man would suffer that he would be tortured rather than blessed? But yet sometimes those who seem to be evil and those who seem to be wicked, they're being blessed abundantly. You guys ever heard those questions asked? I've heard them asked. I've actually had people use that question to try to deny that there's even a God. If there is a God, why does evil things happen to people? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, so I guess we'll touch on it for a second. Why do people suffer? That's what they're trying to figure out in Job. Why is all this taking place? Well, Job's his friends really struggle with the answer, and I'm going to give you that answer at the very end of the lesson, but I'm not going to give it to you right now. What we're going to do is try to work through with what his friends are working through. What are they they telling Job? Why do they think this is going on? Well, his friends really are struggling to understand what is taking place here with Job, at least as you begin to listen to the interaction. These three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and later comes on the scene Elihu, they, they attempt to comfort, I use again that word loosely, uh, and to sympathize, but it quickly turns into a debate of accusations and defense. They're saying, Job, you're a rank sinner. Everybody can tell you're a rank sinner because Evil things are happening to you, and God doesn't do evil things to good people. So it's very clear you're, you're a rank sinner, right? You reap what you sow. God blesses the good people, and God punishes the wicked people. And based on what's taking place here, you're just a horrible, wicked, rank sinner. That's what Job's friends are telling him. With friends like that, 
I, I don't want any friends like that. They're not, they're not there to help him. And that's the conclusion they've come to. You're a wicked, rank, horrible person. And based off this fact that God doesn't punish the, or punish the, the, the faithful, the only conclusion we can come to is, is you're just a rank, horrible person. And Job says, I'm not. I'm not. And he tries to defend himself, and they say, hey, you can say all that, but the actions are showing us. We may not even know about it, but you're just a wicked, horrible person. Well, later Elihu will show up, and he's kind of, he's kind of bashing on the other three friends, but he's not much help either. Listen to Job 34, what he says. And again, this is supposed to, be, this is supposed to help Job, who's lost everything, and he's trying to figure out what's taking place. Notice what Elihu says. He says, let us choose to us judgment. This is Job 34, starting in verse 4. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. Job saying, I didn't sin. I'm upright. I haven't done any of this. And then he says, What man is like Job who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company with the workers of sin, and walketh with, walks with wicked men? Now, wait a minute. Job says, I don't walk with wicked men. I don't hang out with sinners. I haven't done any of this stuff. And he says, oh, no. Oh, no, Job, you've had to have. He goes on. For he, said, for he hath said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Therefore, hearken unto me, you men of understanding. All right, Eli, who's going to give us his personal view on this? He says, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity or sin. Right? So, so far, that's true. God doesn't do bad things to people. And he said, certainly he's not going to commit sin. He says, For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. What's he saying? Elihu says, God doesn't commit sin, and he wouldn't unjustly cause a man to suffer for no reason. And since God does not sin, and God wouldn't cause the righteous to, for no reason to suffer, but you are suffering, you must be a wicked, evil person. So Elihu doesn't do a whole lot to help out the situation, right? You're suffering due to sin. Job continues to defend himself. I haven't done anything. Now he's got four people, right? You're a rank sinner, Job. You are wicked. They start listing all the things that he must have done. And Job, Job keeps saying, I, did, I didn't do any of these things. I don't understand why this is happening to me. You know what Job needs? He needs a witness. He keeps telling them, I didn't do anything. I'm not responsible. I'm not guilty. But he's, you just have Job. Job needs a witness. He needed a witness. Who, who could defend his righteousness? Let's go on over to Job 16. His friends keep accusing him of being a rank sinner. He needs somebody to, to, to be able to witness on his behalf. Yeah, he's suffering. Listen to Job 16, verse 17. He says, Not for any injustice in mine hands. Like, I haven't done anything. Job says, I'm not a sinner. He says, Also, my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let, let, me, let my cry have no place. And now, behold, my witness is in heaven. Oh, what's he talking about? What does Job know? He goes on, And my record is on high. My friends scorn me. 
but my eye poureth out tears unto God. Job says, I'm not a rank sinner, and my prayers, they're actually pure. And Job says something really interesting here. He says that he prayed that his blood would not be covered up. You probably won't draw the connection here, but the concept very reminiscent of the account with Cain and Abel. One was, one was faithful and one was not. And we, we know that Abel had been innocent, and yet he was killed for his faithfulness. And Genesis 4.10 says, And he said, What hast thou done? This is after he's killed him because he's faithful. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Abel's blood had called out from the ground to the Lord. Job wished his blood would do the same thing at his death. Why? He'd been righteous. He hadn't done anything. And Job says, I do have a witness. And he says, he's in heaven. Job knew that there was one in heaven that could see him. He knew there was one that could actually testify on his behalf that he, wasn't, he was innocent. He hadn't done anything wrong. He wasn't some rank, wicked sinner. His prayers had been pure. Everything he's telling his so-called friends is true. He hadn't done any of these things. He doesn't understand why he's suffering through all this. Through all of this, guys, Job never knew. He thought God was behind it. You think about a man who had been faithful time and time and time again and would say, I know that my God is, my God is faithful to me. He's been blessing me time and time again. And then in one day you lose everything. And he thinks, why? why? What have I done? You guys ever question why things happen in your life? Imagine placing yourself in the shoes of Job. He keeps telling his friends, I'm innocent. But he knew God could be a witness to his innocence. And he knew that he was in heaven Guys, Christ is, the member, is a member of the Godhead. He is the witness for which Job sought. I didn't put these verses down in here. I just noticed it as I look. Write down Revelation chapter 1-5, where it says Christ is the faithful witness. Write down also Revelation 3, verse 14. If I missed it, keep on reading, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Christ is the faithful witness. And Job had an understanding of that. How? I don't know exactly. But he didn't just have an understanding of that. Job literally, because he was righteous, he pleaded for an advocate. Sound familiar? He pleaded for a redeemer. He wanted a mediator. Guys, here's, here's a question as we begin to think about this. I'm going to go over to Job 16, 21. Job is wondering, I keep telling my friends I'm innocent. Who can plead for me? Now, he already knows that he has a witness. Notice what he says in Job 16, 21. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. You know, we've talked about mediators before, right? The mediator does what? He puts a hand on this man's shoulder, and he puts a hand on this man's shoulder. And the idea is, is to resolve the situation and bring the two parties back together. And Job says, who can, who can do this for man and God? Who can do that for man and God? There's only one person that could ever be the mediator between man and God. That's Christ. Christ is the mediator. He's the advocate that Job is looking for. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, I'll touch on that word here in a second, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate is it's the mediator it's the that word literally means an intercessor one who intercedes on behalf of 
Jesus could put His hand on the shoulder of Job, and He could put His hand on the shoulder of God, and He can bring the two together. And Job is looking for this advocate, for this one to intercede on his behalf. He's been a faithful follower of God. Christ's going to go before the Father, and He will attest that you, you are His on the day of judgment, that you, when you've been faithful unto God. And listen to Job 19.25. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Many of us have sang that song. How does Job know this? He's got a witness. He has, he has one who can intercede for him. He knows he's got this Redeemer. The picture we literally have is a court scene playing out amongst us in which you have one who can be witness, one who can intercede on behalf of, the one who can literally redeem you. He knew he had a Redeemer. He also knew this Redeemer was then living, but he wasn't upon the earth. That's interesting. He's in heaven. But then he also says that he will later stand upon the earth. Christ is the Redeemer for which Job looked. Listen to what Paul tells Titus in Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I'm not going to go back and touch on this, but every single person that was ever saved was saved by the blood of Christ. Those that lived as patriarchs, those that lived... Under the law of Moses, they were all guilty of sin, but only the blood of Jesus Christ could take away that sin. And so that's why the Jews were waiting. Where's the Messiah? When He comes, He's going to deal with this problem. Every person who's ever saved was saved through the blood of Christ. We go back and study the book of Hebrews and a number of other passages, but Job is looking for this witness, this intercessor, this redeemer, this mediator. Listen to Job 9, verse 30 through 33. And Job really describes this well. And I hope that we can even understand his viewpoint here. Job says, if I wash myself with snow water... I mean, you guys ever gone and taken a bath in snow water? I'll, I'll touch on that here in a second. But if I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall, they, yet shall thou plunge me in the ditch... And mine own clothes shall abhor me, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman, talking about a mediator here, betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Does that sound familiar to what I just said? Who can lay a hand on man and lay one on God and bring the two together? Job's talking about him literally being one who is standing before God as filth. He wants a mediator, right? Who could mediate between me and God? And he, in essence, what he's saying is, is, I can't stand before God and even mediate on my behalf. I'm not worthy. He says, literally, if I went back and I washed my hands in snow water, that's, that's the purest thing he could think of. If I washed my hands in snow water... I would still literally be filth compared to the Almighty. Still filth, right? If I washed them till the skin came off my hands, I am still filth in the presence of God Almighty. So who could stand between the two of them? Who could bring those two together? And his, his thought process is not unusual. We actually see the same thought process with the Jews. Uh, the Jewish notion of the Scriptures, like this right here, guys, 
that their, their scriptures, they have scrolls, we have a Bible, their scriptures were so pure that even if you scrubbed your hands clean, and I'm talking as clean as you could get them, and then you laid the Word of God on top of your hand, it only reemphasizes the very fact that you are filth compared to anything that pertains to God. Because the Scriptures are so pure. That's why they don't add to it. That's why we don't take away. The Scriptures are so pure, it only reemphasizes that I'm a sinner. That's what Job's saying. How could I even stand in the presence of God? If I scrubbed my entire body down and got as clean as I could be, I'm still nothing more than a man who has sinned standing in the presence of God. So who can mediate for the two of us? Who could be my witness? Who could be my mediator? Who could be my redeemer? The Jews knew, as Job did, that in comparison to God and everything that pertains to Him, men are filthy and unclean. Romans 3.23 makes it clear we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the consequence, Romans 6.23, is death. Job is an upright, pure man. He's not lied. But here's the thing, guys. Think about this. Even if Job is a perfect, upright man, did he at some time in his life sin? And he can repent of that, and he can be faithful again. But he's still a... And think about this. Christ hasn't come yet. He still has that sin baggage. You place him in front of the presence of God on the day of judgment, and his question is, is who can... Who can mediate and come between us? Who's my intercessor, my redeemer, my mediator? Somehow he had an understanding that this would take place. Let me touch on this, because Job doesn't really understand everything taking place here. Suffering is not a sign of unrighteousness. And I say that because that's what his friends thought. But here's a question. Why do bad things happen to good people? We, we ask that all the time. Why is it that people who are wicked and people who are evil seem oftentimes to have it so easy? Well, I hate to say this, and it's sad. Most of us know it. Suffering isn't confined to only the wicked. And there are times in this life when things definitely don't seem fair. And I have to say, you know, it, it, it's a there's a spiritual battle taking place between God and Satan. In essence, God is saying, he's my faithful follower. He's not going to renounce me. And Satan says, yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. Let me take everything that he has. And let me strike him down with illness, and he'll curse you to his face. And God said, no, I don't believe he will. He says, well, let me do it. Who's the victim in all this? Job hadn't done anything. Job didn't even understand why this was taking place. There are times when people suffer and they don't have any idea why. It doesn't make any sense to them. And then you see people who should be suffering. They're wicked and they seem to prosper. And we see that all the time even in our society today. Listen to Job 21, verses 7 through 8. Job says, Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? Let me pause. What's he saying? That doesn't seem right. Why do wicked people seem to prosper? They live long time. He goes on, Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Job 21, 13, he says, They spend their days in wealth and in a minute go down, a moment go down to heaven, or to, go down to the grave, sorry. What's he saying? It's not fair. You see all these wicked people who seem to be prospering, they're not struggling. How is that okay? They're being blessed in all regards. And he says it doesn't seem fair. And then you have Job. Job is a righteous man. He's suffering despite his faithfulness. 
Listen to Job 23, 8 through 10. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. He's not. Why, why, why do I not feel God in my life? Why can't I see him? I'm not being blessed. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What's he saying? Where's God's presence? I can't feel him. I don't perceive him. Does he say I'm going to abandon God and give up? No. No. He says when I've been tried, I'm going to come forth as gold. Gold is purified. What's he saying? No, I don't feel him in my life. I'm not being blessed. It seems like I'm suffering unrighteously, he says, but am I going to give up? No. No, when the trying's done, I'm going to pass this test, and I'll come out purified. He's not sure why he's being afflicted so much. Here's the only answer that Job can come up to as far as why this is all happening. He basically says, I can't understand the way he works. And yet, we see in verse 10, he says, but I'm being tried. I'm being tried. Now, again, here's the sad part, guys. He believes God is doing this to him when in fact it is Satan. He believes God has abandoned him. He says, I'm not going to abandon God even though he feels like God has abandoned to him. But he doesn't know why it's happening. He doesn't know that it's Satan. Throughout all of this, he never knows. Never. He never finds out that he is the one who's at the center of this spiritual battle taking place. And that literally all of this is coming through by the hand of Satan. The entire time when you read through Job, he literally thinks God is doing this to him. He's confused. It doesn't make any sense. He's confused as to the appearance why righteous people suffer and wicked people seem to prosper. And he doesn't know the answer. We ask the same questions today, don't we? Listen to Job 9.14. He says, How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him, whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge? Job mistakenly believes that the face of God is against him because he is suffering. He doesn't understand why. He doesn't know who's behind it. He literally also thinks that God is not hearing his prayers. He does not hear his pleas. And guys, here's the thing, he's wrong. Think about this for just a second, guys. God is allowing Satan to do this, and God is watching this play out. God is watching what Satan is afflicting and doing to him, and God cannot, and he's choosing not to intervene. He is choosing to allow Job, through his own free will, to, in essence, win the spiritual battle for him. He's not going to intervene. Can you imagine how hard it is for God to sit and watch what has happened to His most faithful follower? The one He has blessed over and over and over again, and during this spiritual battle, He sits back and watches this take place. And Job is saying, I don't understand why this is happening. Why, why would God turn His back on me? I can't contemplate. I don't understand. I know I have a witness. I keep telling everyone I, I've not done anything wrong. I have a witness. I have a mediator. I have a redeemer. And on the judgment day, this is all going to be cleared up. But everybody else thinks I'm a wicked, horrible person. And that's why this stuff's happening. And God does not intervene. And Job is confused. 
Job 9, verse 21 through 24, he says, Though I were perfect, yet I would not know my soul. I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore, I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. He still thinks God's behind this. He has no idea that Satan is the one doing this. If the scourge slays suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. And if not, where? And who is he? Judge Job here reasons further. If God does permit these things to take place, He has to be behind them in some way, even though I don't understand it. And if it's not God behind human suffering and among, among the righteous, then who is it? I'm going to help you out a little bit to the answer of Job's question and help correct some of what Job's friends were telling him. They basically told him over and over and over again, this is happening because you are a wicked, horrible, rank sinner, Job. Because bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And Job says, I don't know why it's happening, but I'm not a wicked person. So why does suffering happen? Sometimes suffering happens because of our own sinful decisions. I can go out and rob a bank, guys, and I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to suffer for it. Sometimes suffering occurs because of somebody else's poor decision. I drive home after worship today and somebody who decided to go out and drink a six or a 12 pack this morning, they drive into me and kill me and my family. I didn't do anything wrong. But their sinful decision could cause me to suffer. Sometimes suffering takes place in this world simply through natural law. Somebody dies, somebody gets sick. In all of those situations, that has nothing to do with God. That is man's bad decisions or natural law simply playing out. But as we begin to talk about specifically with the case of Job, and this is where we might begin to struggle a little bit, we learn that sometimes there's a much deeper reason than that. Specifically in the case of Job, what we learn is that Satan was confident in Job's spiritual collapse. If he was suffered and tried and if he would face all of these things, however, he was proved wrong. But Satan did everything that he could within his power, literally to the point of driving Job to wish he was dead. To wish that he was dead. But guys, Job was victorious over every one of these schemes of Satan. And we can be too. Listen to Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that word means schemes, the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. This is how the schemes of the devil play out. Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want to say this, guys. Job overcame, and if you've never read, Job gets every one of those blessings back. They actually double. He gets all of those blessings back. And Job is a book that helps us to understand that sometimes we do suffer with things in this life, and it may have nothing to do with us. It could be due to sinful consequences or choices we made. It could be sinful choices from somebody else. It could be natural law simply playing out, you know, where a tornado comes through and 
something happens. And it, it could be that there's literally a spiritual battle of some sort taking place. But in, in all of this, whether it's struggles, whether it's temptations, whether it's trials, whether it's spiritual battles, we can overcome it. How did Job know what he knew? I'm not quite sure, but I will tie it into 1 Corinthians 15:57. <clears throat> but thanks be to God, which gaveth us the victory, that's the triumph, through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Somehow Job knew he had a redeemer. Somehow he knew he had a mediator. Somehow he knew he had this one who would stand in witness on his behalf. And the one that he was waiting for is the one that's been prophesied, and the one that we all rely on, the one that we have a hope of. And it's that return of Jesus Christ. Guys, if you've never gone back, I barely touched on the book of Job today, guys. It is probably one of the most sad books you will ever read, and it is because he had no idea why he was being, why he was being in his mind, either punished or struggling with all that he had because he had not done anything wrong. And throughout all of this, he never knew. He never knew that there was a spiritual battle taking place between Satan and God, and he was the pinnacle. He was the pinnacle. And through his own free will and through everything that he did and said, he never renounced God and he never sinned. That's what we should strive to do as followers of God. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern. Are you a follower of God? It's not very complicated to become a Christian. Our scriptures are very clear. There were people walking around. You had evangelists, also called ministers, also called preachers. They were teaching about Jesus, who he was, why he came why He shed His blood, the establishment of the church. And when they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, they understood He would be their Redeemer, that He would be their Mediator. When they understood that, and they understood that they, there were certain things expected of them, here's what you find in every conversion account because of that belief. They repented of their sins, they confessed Christ, and they were immersed in water for their mission of sins. And when they did that, the Lord added them to the church. That's how you become a Christian. If you are here and you're a Christian, I would encourage every one of you, no matter what you're going through, to continue to be faithful like Job. And if there's a way we can help you in any way as we draw this to a close, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.